Hey guys, welcome back to the New Nine Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Cubitt, and today we have a really wicked guest for you guys. Um, I say that every episode, but this is someone we've been trying to track down for a while, and uh, finally he responded and he's able to come on. Um, this is someone I met 10 years ago, um, kind of by fluke and chance, and I've been waiting 10 years to give him an apology, so I'm really looking forward to dive into that. Um, if you like sports, specifically hockey, you're going to love this podcast. Um, let's go check it out now, and I'm going to head over to my interview with the one, the only, James Duffy. All right, so our guest today is the host of TSN's Hockey Coverage. He's a three-time, soon-to-be four-time author. He's the host of the Rubber Boots podcast, Mr. James Duffy. So, James, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, buddy. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, thanks. Just got off the golf course. How about yourself? Ditto. Where were you playing? Coppinwood. Is that the... uh, Are you a member out there? I am uh, an ambassador, which is probably a long story, which uh, is too, uh, too long to explain, but... I've been playing out there this year and uh, actually was playing out with Bob McKenzie today and Rod Black, uh, two of the legends of TSN and uh, Sean McKenzie, Bob's son, who I play with a lot. And uh, Bob actually hold out for Eagle. Come on. And Bob has just started like Bob. He kind of used to hate golf. He'd play once a year. Uh, but now that he's semi retired, he's really taken it up this year and he's improved a lot. So. That was a big, he holed out from about, I think it was 125 with a nine iron for an eagle. So it was, good for uh, him. Yeah, very cool. That's awesome. Um, before we dive into golf, I actually owe you an apology. So uh, this isn't our first time talking. Uh, I actually met you back in 2010 and it was in Regina at the World Juniors. Okay. So that's a funny story. So um, the seats at uh, the World Juniors were right beside your broadcast booth. So you and Bob were doing the TSN coverage of the World Juniors. Right. We get to our seats and I had no idea that we would be sitting right beside your guys kind of uh, broadcasting booth. So this was just before I had a smartphone. So of course I see all the guys, I know Bob, but I, for whatever reason, your name just didn't come to the tip of my tongue. I just, for whatever reason, I see you, I see this guy all the time in the mornings and I just can't think of your name for the life of me. So I'm texting my buddy. So I text my buddy Brody. I said, Brody, who's the main guy on TSN that does all the hockey coverage? You know, the main guy that, you know, I'm trying to describe you. He says, I think it's Darren Drager. The goofy looking guy. (laughs) But he says, yeah, I think it's Darren Drager. So I'm like, oh, oh yeah, Darren Drager. That's right. That's totally it. So I go up when you're doing uh, kind of a break and I, uh, I lean over and say, hey, uh, Mr. Drager, Mr. Drager. And no response, no response. You're still doing this thing. I say, hey, da- hey, Darren. So you and I make icon. I say, hey, Darren. Yeah, Darren, come over. So I was just about to go into broadcasting school. So in 2010, I enrolled in broadcasting and realistically, I wanted your job. I wanted to be the next James Duffy. So this whole time we're having a 10 minute conversation just about broadcasting and how to kind of, you know, make your way up. And I was calling you Darren the whole time. So at the, at the very end, you were very great. She said, you know what? If you ever want any more advice, just send me an email at james.duffy at PSN. And I was just mortified. I'm like, you got, I got, you know, I couldn't believe that had happened. So I apologize 10 years ago for calling you Darren Drager for the 10 minutes that we talked. Okay. So I'm going to make you feel better here instead of worse. Uh, It happens all the time. Uh, And I totally understand, first of all, uh, to the, I know someone like you is into sports casting, but, uh, Everybody, all of us, all sports casters are kind of the same. The Darren's, the, you know, I, my last name is Duffy. People can't say Duffy. So a lot of times people call me Dutchie, uh, right. who's, you know, Darren Detition at TSN's nickname. Yeah. And I know they're not mistaking me for Darren Detition. There's a lot of muscle difference there, but uh, they just can't say Duffy. So I would say that seven out of 10 people that yell at me on the street say Dutchie. Right. And then I'll get Drager. And then, 
you know, James Sabolski, who's another sportscaster, because they get the James part right. And it just, it's, I, I, I don't mind whatsoever because I, I totally understand there's a bun, bunch of talking heads on television and uh, people get confused all the time. So I get Drager a lot. I get Dutchie a lot. You're far from alone, Brent. Yeah, well, I was mortified at the time, so I appreciate you making me feel a little bit better. Um, let's dive into the hockey talk. So obviously the playoffs are going on right now. How's kind of been the coverage been since uh, COVID? How has work been before and how is it now? Well, it was really weird for the first few months. Um, I was just telling you before we went on that uh, I sort of lived on Zoom. That's the way we did all our coverage from home through sort of March and April. And we actually worked a lot. I know a lot of people didn't see us because people weren't watching. Sports Center wasn't on regularly. And we were doing insider trading and the quiz and a lot of the hockey things we do. We were doing them every week. It's just that I don't think a lot of people were watching sports because there was no sports on. Right. Uh, so maybe people weren't watching TSN as much as normal. It's been really nice the last couple of months that we've gotten back in studio. Uh, we don't have the games for the playoffs, but we do post game and pre game on Sports Center. So I've been in there almost every night uh, doing something. And that part of it's been good just for normalcy's sake to be actually sitting at that spot that I've sat at for 20 years, you know, makes me feel like it's, you know, some semblance of normal. Right. And uh, now that sports is kind of rolling again, it, it feels good. It was those were weird times. Uh, I mean, they're weird times for all of us, but sports had never felt so irrelevant, I don't think, as it did back in March and April and May. And uh, it was weird when that part of your life was just completely sucked out and gone. Uh, yeah, weird yeah. for everybody missing sports. But when sports is your career, I think even more so. But we're back into it now. Uh, the Masters is coming up in November and uh, excited about that. NFL's back. So we're getting there slowly. We're down to the final four teams for the NHL. So we've got Dallas, Vegas, the Islanders and the Lightning. Um, were those guys on your radar and who do you think is going to take it home? Yeah, that, that was ex exactly my prediction before the season, Brandon. <laughs> and he put a hundred uh, grand on it. Actually, I did pick Vegas. I picked Vegas at the beginning of the season. And then at the middle of the season, I stuck with that. So I'm actually shocked as we're talking right now, they, they could be eliminated tonight. Um, I know, does this go, I don't know if this goes up tomorrow or when you put it up, but uh, I, I don't want to date it for people. Yeah, no worries. Uh, no worries. I am surprised by Dallas. I, I mean, I thought they'd be a contender, but I don't think I had them going to a Stanley cup final. Yeah. Um, ditto the Islanders. Obviously I think that's a fantastic story what they've accomplished. Uh, and Tampa, I think I had Vegas over Tampa in my Stanley Cup final, which is still possible. So uh, two of them I expected, two of them uh, definitely caught me off guard. Yeah, you and me both. I can't believe Dallas came out steamrolling. You know, I thought Calgary had a chance. We're in Calgary, so we we're obviously rooting for them, and they just destroyed us. So then uh, to see them, you know, put Vegas down three-one, I don't think anyone saw that coming. They're a weird team because they do have a ton of talent, but they haven't really, like, I don't think hardly anybody picked them. And you watch them, particularly in this Vegas series, and you go, yeah, they look okay, but they don't look great, but they just find a way. And sometimes, I don't know, sometimes it's just your time, right? And everything works out for you. The goaltending's been great. And Hudobin, they do really have good defensemen. The weird thing is, I mean, Jamie Ben's been decent lately, but Ben and Sagan haven't been that great. And they're still, you know, went away from the uh, Stanley Cup final as we speak right now. No kidding. Well, you were just talking about fantastic goaltending, which brings me to my next uh, point, is that you have a new book coming out, and the forward was written by none other than uh, Lou, uh, Roberto Luongo. Uh, tell yeah. me a little bit about uh, your new book called uh, Beauty's Hockey's Greatest Stories, uh, or Greatest Untold Stories, sorry. Yeah, uh, no worries. Um, well, I've written uh, a bunch of books before, and 
but the last one was about myself, the guy on the left, which wasn't an autobiography, but it was sort of a story of my career and people I'd met along the way. And I was sick of writing about myself. And so I, I definitely wanted to write something that was, uh, had nothing to do with me. And, you know, I, I've read a lot of hockey books in my day and there's good stories within the hockey books, but quite often that, you know, a guy writes an autobiography and he might have a few good stories in there, but you have to go through all the crap of him growing up and playing junior and all that stuff. And so I said, boy, if you could just take the best stories out of all those books and put them together, you'd have a great book. So what I did is I just uh, called basically 50 people, uh, some of the biggest names in hockey, some of the greatest characters in hockey, maybe sometimes just people I know and work with, and said, just tell me your favorite hockey story. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be funny. It doesn't have to be something that happened in a game, like a crazy outcome in a game. It could be something that happened in the bar afterwards. It could be anything. Just tell me a great hockey story. Because one of my favorite parts of my job all these 20 years has been sitting next to the guys on the panel. And when we're not on TV, you know, if we're sitting around having beers after, uh, you know, just sitting around watching the game, they tell great stories. Some of the times I can't repeat them on television. Yeah. So I thought with a book I could get away with that. And uh, it was a really, really fun process to do. I mean, I got to talk to the greats like Wayne Gretzky, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, you know, all Austin Matthews, uh, Bobby Orr, which was a huge thrill, all those guys but also guys that lesser names, but had great stories, right? I really tried to get some great storytellers and I'm lucky that I work with a lot of them. Right. Uh, you know, Bob McKenzie and, and Drager guys like that are in the book too. And, and noodles McLennan and Jeff O'Neill. So it was really fun for me just to listen to the stories and then, and then, and then write them up. And uh, I think people are really going to like it. Let's give a little teaser off the top of your head. Who told a great hockey story? Wow. My, I'm going to have to get used to this. I'm about to start doing media for the book, and I have to get these answers ready, Brandon, because I'm not ready, so you're good practice. Uh, well, I mean, there's every single one of them. I, I don't know if I have a favorite. Um, you know, at the top of my head, Jamie McLennan uh, tells us two great stories, one about uh, beating up a mascot during an AHL game in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, and one about getting uh, yelled at by Daryl Sutter. Uh, like really yelled at by Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter gave him a report card one day. Here's a timely one. John Cooper, the coach of the Lightning, uh, back when he was the coach of the Syracuse Crutch. I'll tell you this one really quickly. Uh, Dustin Tokarski was his goalie. And basically, Dustin got carjacked on the day of morning of a game no. uh, and was really shaken. And Cooper got called just before he was leaving to Binghamton to go to the game and said that your goalie's at the police station. So he runs to the police station, finds out that Dustin's been carjacked. Long story short, uh, they end up racing to the game and get there just like a minute before the game starts. He gives Dustin the night off because he's been through a traumatic experience, carjacked at the knife point. Uh, they are down 5 nothing uh, midway through the game, and he has to pull Dustin out of the dressing room and get them dressed and, and they end up coming back and winning six to five. So, uh, you know, Cooper calls it the craziest game of his entire career. So that's um, hilarious. Yeah. Things like that. That, I mean, and the book is full of those things. Uh, Crosby was a real pleasure because, you know, he, he always isn't the most exciting interview as you know, right. But he really opened up and it was funny. Uh, guys contacted me in different ways. Some I had phone interviews with some, I sat down with in person. Sid kept sending me voice memos. So really? I just would get like I, on a random day, I get this five minute voice memo. And then a couple of weeks later, I get another one. He goes, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you this other story. 
And he just kept telling me more and more stories. Uh, there's a great chapter about Sid from Junior uh, in Ramuski, which I really like. So it, like I said, I'm going to have to pick favorites because I'm going to get asked this question a lot. But yeah. uh, I, I'm really like all 50 stories in there are uh, they're all different. And I kind of love them all. They're kind of your babies when you write them, right? I believe it. I'm looking forward to the book. Thanks so much for giving us a little teaser. Yeah, no worries, buddy. Thank you. Um, you told be me a this podcast t- too to tease another. Uh, we're turning the book into a podcast, which will be uh, not your typical like you can do oral versions of books. You know, a lot of people, but we instead of just me reading the book, uh, we turned it. We have all the sound of the people telling the stories, and Christoph, who's my producer for the Rubber Boots podcast, who's brilliant, you know, adds all the sound effects and background sound. So it's really like you're you're into a story kind of like a radio documentary. So I think people are going to like that as well. I'm looking forward to it. Um, 10 years ago, when I was asking about the broadcasting industry, you told me it's not an easy road to get to TSN, that you got to visit a lot of small towns and go in places you might not expect. Um, was TSN the always, always the goal for you um, in your broadcasting career? Or, you know, how did you end up there? And did you think you were going to make it there? Well, it didn't exist when I was a kid. So I, it wasn't the original goal. I think my first dream of sports casting was probably to do NFL play-by-play. It, or CFL. I just love football. And I would turn down the volume and do play by play when I was in my teens. You know, TSN was, I'd have to do the math. TSN was probably born when I was 20 or something like that. And uh, as soon as I got into sports casting, I was a local sportscaster and newscaster in Ottawa. And TSN started to become a thing in Canada. It did become the goal. Uh, it really did. And it's funny, I, I went out to Vancouver left Ottawa, took a job out in Vancouver as a news reporter. And, uh, I was, I was my, my wife's, my then girlfriend, now wife's parents came out and we were on a fishing boat, uh, in English Bay. And I literally had a, a, uh, a salmon on the line and I had this Jack Russell Terrier dog who was going crazy because he was crazy about fish and water. And it was just a surreal scene where I was reeling in the salmon in the middle of English Bay. And my dog was like almost jumping overboard and my phone rang. And uh, it was Keith Pelly who uh, calling to offer me the job at TSN. So I'll never forget the moment. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, I got I to reel in the salmon. My dog's about to jump overboard. <laughs> and, uh, that was, well, you know, uh, certainly one of the defining moments of my career because I, I had always dreamed about coming to TSN and it came true in those weird circumstances. So cool. Now there's a younger generation of broadcasters, so much like myself, that they want your job and you're still working there. So what would you tell someone yeah. who wants to be on the next uh, TSN panel? Yeah, give me a few years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. I'm sorry. People probably hope I get hit by a bus one of these days. And, uh, Knock on wood. I, I hope to do it as yeah, exactly. I hope to do it as long as I can. Uh, I'm sure they'll kick me out eventually. Uh, for young broadcasters, I, I mean, so much of it is uh, patience. Is it, it is hard work and and believing in yourself and you have those doubts. I had lots of years in Ottawa where I thought, oh, geez, I'm never, I loved Ottawa, but I'm never going to get to TSN or never going to get the break. And, uh, and then it sort of just happened for me. Um, you just got to work your craft and uh, make phone calls and send in tapes and do all those things that, uh, and, and hope that someday somebody will see you and, and, and notice you. And it was funny, you know, I was, I think Keith Pelly, who then ran TSN, tied in with golf, now runs the European Golf Tour. Um, he happened to see me uh, a night, the night that the building opened in Ottawa when the Senators first came to town, the new arena. And I was doing a live hit and I was wearing jeans uh, and like a jacket on top. And 
for whatever reason, he noticed the jeans, which was the weirdest thing. He called me out of the blue and he's like, Hey, it's Keith Kelly from TSN. I was watching the other night in the air and I really like those jeans. And I like, this is the creepiest call I've ever had. <laughs> but I think what he meant was he just liked my casual delivery and, and whatever. And that's what it was. So, uh, you never know when somebody's out there watching and somebody sees you and, uh, and, and, and there's your break. So, and then, and I guess the other thing I would say is, uh, uh, you know, do it. You have to do it for the passion. Uh, you can make good money, but there's not a lot of people that make great money in this business, right? So you, you really got to want to do it. I think more than anything else, you can't fake your way in sports broadcasting and, uh, uh, it's tougher and tougher. Uh, but I'm never going to be one of those guys. There's a lot of people that would say, if you ask that question now that would say, don't do it. Don't go into journalism. Don't go into broadcasting. The business is shrinking. It's really hard to get a job. And all of those things are true. But who, you know, I, I, I would never say that because people were telling me that back then. People yeah. were saying, you're, you know, you don't go into sports. It's a dead end street. I kept hearing that over and over again back when I was a news reporter. If I had listened to all those people, I would have never got to do all these amazing things that I've gotten to do. So who am I to tell somebody, how, how do I know that the person listening to this is not the next uh, you know, me or Kate Burness or Darren Detition or whoever, Bob McKenzie, whoever that is. Right. Um, so I'd always, I would never lead someone away from pursuing their passion. Well, that's good to hear. Um, not only do you cover hockey, you know, I'm most jealous about this portion of your career, which is covering the masters. Uh, right. we're, we're a golf or a golf first podcast. Tell me about uh, getting to cover the masters. Ah, uh, amazing. I first got to do it in 2002, uh, where, and I'm trying to think of why I got to do it in 2002. Uh, I think back then we didn't have the rights for the playoffs or something. And, uh, so I wasn't covering games and, uh, I always wanted to do it. So I guess I asked and they were kind enough to let me do it. And then the funniest thing, when, when TSN lost the national hockey rights six years ago, which was a big deal, um, and it was kind of crushing at first because we'd done it for so long and we thought we did a really good job and we're very proud of our work. But in many ways it, it turned out good for me because I'd never gotten into the business wanting just to be a hockey broadcaster. I wanted to do a lot of sports. And so when that happened and they came to me and said, okay, what do you want to do now? Uh, you can, you know, we still have lots of hockey, but you're going to have some other openings. And, um, I, I, I said I would like to do the Grey Cup and the Super Bowl and the Masters, and they were kind enough to let me do those things. So that's how it came about. And it's probably wrong to say this, keep it between all of us, but golf is probably my number one passion now. I love hockey. I love football. But I will, you know, yesterday's a great example, or Sunday, everybody's watching NFL. I was watching that LPGA event. Yeah, you know, what a hard Like three and a half hours following Brooke. And I'll... I'll watch any golf that's on. Um, so I'll probably choose golf over anything else as far as what I'm watching on TV. And it's really only, I had three kids in three and a half years and a crazy life for 15 years. So I was only playing, you know, seven, eight rounds a year and a lot of tournaments and playing my own ball, maybe three, four times a year. So only about three, four years ago, as my kids got older, did I start playing a lot. And that's when I've really, really fallen in love with the game. Um, you know, frustrates the hell out of me like it does everybody else. Yeah. Um, but I've, I'm playing a lot more and I'm so passionate about it and learning the mechanics of how things work. Not that I can make them make it happen, but I'm trying. Are you brand biased? Like what type of clubs are in your bag? 
Uh, TaylorMade. I'm definitely a TaylorMade guy because uh, they help me out with clubs sometimes. And uh, I love TaylorMades. I got the Sim. I don't have the Sim irons this year. I like my irons from last year. So the 790s. And uh, but I have the Sim driver, which I love, and the Sim hybrids. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a TaylorMade guy. It's been a great year for TaylorMade. You know, DJ won the FedEx Cup, and I was uh, tied for 14th in my club match play. Uh, so. Hey, there Big you go for Taylor made. I don't know why. I don't think I'll be on a poster. <laughs> um, I don't know if I, I, did I answer enough of your question about the masters. So I guess I've been there six years in a row. It is, it is awesome. It's, it's my favorite week of every year. I think masters week is a, you know, to a lot of golf fans is one of the favorite weeks of the year, not just because it's the masters, but because it's kind of feels like the start of summer, right? For sure. Yep. And, uh, so it was a real bummer not going this year. I don't know if we're going to go in November or not, uh, depending on the border and the situation. Might end up having to do it from studio. Hopefully we'll be back there next April for the next one. But I just love it. And we work our asses off. It's not a soft week. We're there at the course 7 a.m. every day, leaving at 9 p.m., but you're at Augusta, right? And true. It just, it's true. so awesome. True or false, you got to play Augusta. True. So tell me, tell me about that experience. You made a lot of journalists pretty pissed off, I bet, with your uh, name getting pulled out of the hat. One of the real jerk things I do when I play golf with people I don't know very well, you know, if you're, you're a twosome hooking up with another twosome, whatever that is. Yeah. So I'll often, uh, I, I do this on purpose, we'll be standing around waiting on a tee box or something and I'll say, uh, so what's, the, what's your favorite course you guys ever played? Yeah. And somebody will say, <laughs> oh, you know, the National or whatever, you know, Niagara Falls or somebody will mention something or wooden sticks and they'll say, what about you? And I'll just go, Augusta National. Yeah, no big deal. No, <laughs> no biggie. Deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's a lottery for your listeners that don't know. Um, there's a lottery every year for the media and about, I don't know the number, about 20 guys get to play on the Monday. And so I won, uh, I guess, four years ago now. Uh, and it's just so cool. Uh, it's, it was, I was, didn't sleep the night before. So you play on the Monday right after the masters Sunday pin placements, they shave the greens and everything in the morning. So it's, it's Sunday conditions. Although you play off the club tees, uh, which, you know, when tiger won in 97 was, was the actual tees, but they've okay. all moved because of technology in the last yep. 20 years, some holes like 11, I think is maybe 140, 50 yards back. Some of them are only 20 yards apart. Uh, you know, 12 is exactly the same, but there's a big difference on some of the holes now. Um, but it was, it's just unbelievable. You, uh, you get all this beautiful little card that says your tea time and says when to show up at the course, basically an hour before. And funny story, uh, the crew had all left to fly home. So I was alone and I, I phoned to get a cab. I brought my clubs in hopes that I would win. Um, but as I was like putting in the living room the morning, waiting for my cab, I realized I had one ball in my bag. It's the one thing I didn't check. No. And so I tell the cab driver to, is there anything open? It was eight o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning in Augusta, Georgia. And the only thing open was a Walmart. And the only balls they had were like top flight XL. <laughs> so I showed up at Augusta National with like three sleeves of top flight XL. But on the driving range, the caddies are all lined up for you in their whites. It's so cool. And, uh, the balls they use Pro V's with the with the Augusta logo on them, so I'm kind of looking at the balls and looking back at my caddy, and I guess he'd been through this routine before. He just turned his back on purpose, and I shoveled about twelve of those into my bag. Yeah, and yeah, that's what I played the round with, and I can't find one. Like I'm sure I kept a couple, uh -huh. and I can't I can't find one, but 
it's just such an, a, an amazing experience. It's, uh, you know, it's the best day of your golfing life, but it goes by so fast. Bob Weeks, our golf guy, had warned me. He'd also played that it'll be the fastest round you'll ever experience because you don't want it to end. Yeah. Before you know it, you're walking up 18. So yeah, back really to the, cool. Back to the balls. If I yeah. didn't have balls in my bag, I would just buy them from the pro shop. Do they not have a pro shop that you can buy stuff in? I, I didn't know if it was going to be open or not. I was just kind of panicked, right? Right. Because it's Monday after the Masters, and I actually don't think it was open. Mm, okay. Um, so, I, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing was I get to the range in like an hour before. So I wanted to putt for half an hour because of all the legends about the greens. Yeah. And then I walked onto the putting green, dropped my ball, and the guy said, we got to go because we're ahead of time. You're going to go off now. So I never had a chance uh, to practice putt. But uh, the caddies were very helpful. And the course is really playable. I wasn't. I shot 92, and I was really disappointed because I three-putted like 13 times. And I hit the ball pretty well that day. The other hard part is it's your first round of the year, right? The bags yeah. have been in storage for six months. Yeah. But I hit the ball pretty well, and it's a very playable golf course. Like I think a, a good golfer – You'd shoot well there if you could just get over the intimidation, right? You're right. a little bit more nervous than you'd ever normally be. But I hit it pretty well, and I just couldn't. Like I, I putted okay, but you keep like I kept having thirty footers that I put eight feet by, and then just missed the comeback, right? Yeah, it, I've have heard that TV doesn't do it justice. How hilly the course is? Do you remember yeah. it being quite hilly, quite a bit, uh, a bit of a walk? Certainly, like HD and uh, 4K and all that have helped, but. A hundred percent. Like two is so downhill. 18 is so uphill. Eight is so uphill. Nine is so downhill that it's, uh, it's when you get down to the Valley, like when you're down around, I think the low point of the golf course is 12, uh, like 12 green. It is, it is a hike back up to like back up to the clubhouse. Like, I don't know what the elevation difference is, but it is a straight up Sherpa guide walk up there so uh yeah it's 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 something but it's just it's so it's so beautiful it's one of the few places and i think everybody you ever talked to who's been there i know natasha was there you probably asked her about it um it's one of the few places that lives up to your expectations right mm -hmm. that so many places you go or events you go and you're like ah eh, well it wasn't as great as i thought because you build up so much in your mind almost everybody i know who has been to augusta is more blown away than they thought they would be, which is pretty that, cool. That's good to hear. Did you get to go down Magnolia Lane when you pulled in, or is there a different? Yeah, entrance? I mean the the cab drives <laughs> you right down Magnolia Lane, and uh, it's a uh, it's yeah, it's a and you get to have it in the Champions locker room. You get a locker there. Oh, really? And uh, it's really cool. The Champions locker room is very small, so they share lockers. I I, I can't remember, but it's like you know Jack and Fuzzy Zeller and Tiger and Arnie or whatever. They share lockers. Wow. And there's only one shower stall and one toilet. Really? So I don't know what it's like in there. You know, I just I have this vision of, you know, in the day of Jack showering and, you know, Tiger and Spieth waiting outside saying, hurry the hell up, Jack. I got yeah. an hour. So. <laughs> but it's a uh, yeah, very cool experience. One of the coolest days of my life. Well, that's good to hear. I hope I can make it one day because you definitely built it up for me. Yeah, for sure. How'd you get into golf? Did you play as a kid or was it something you picked up later? Uh, I, my dad wasn't, I wasn't a country club kid. We were middle-class in suburban Ottawa and, uh, my buddy and I, uh, Mark Ward, uh, who was my best friend from like grade three, uh, I guess a summer when we were nine, eight, nine years old, my mom didn't know what to do with us. So she kept dropping us off at the local mini putt and we would play eight rounds of mini putt. We played for six hours 
So I guess that was my intro to golf. And then there was one golf course close to us called Pineview Municipal Golf Course. Uh, no offense, Pineview, but kind of a kind of a you know dark track, kind of a dirt track. Yeah, I'm um, probably in better shape than it was now, and I have lots of love for Pineview, so I shouldn't say that. But uh, we would uh, when we first got golf clubs. I guess I was probably 14. I would get up at four in the morning and in dark. I would walk the 10 minutes to Mark's place, throw rocks at his window to wake him up. We would come out, catch the first OC Transpo bus that would let us off at the course. And we would sit in the dark at like quarter to five on the first tee, waiting for it to be light. And basically the reason for this was because we had no money. And so the where the clubhouse was situated, if we figured if we could get through nine holes, we had a time where the staff, like the pros and stuff, didn't show up till you know 7 a.m. or 6.30. So if we teed off at five or five ten or whatever, if we could get around past the clubhouse down ten before they showed up, they wouldn't catch us and we wouldn't have to pay because eighteen kind of ended off by a road. You could take off and get back to the bus stop. So we never paid for golf and would golf there, you know, once a week, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Sorry, Pineview, I owe you about a thousand dollars. And uh, that was it. Uh, I was didn't take any lessons and uh, still fighting that for. Uh, much of my life, I was never taught properly how to play the game, and it probably still hurts me because I'm still trying to play catch up on that. How's your game right now? What uh, do you got a, a handicap that you keep? Good. I'm. I played garbage today. It was really windy at Coppinwood, and uh, I was a whole bunch of hot garbage. But my factor is nine point three, so I had a pretty good year. Um, I'm incredibly streaky. I know uh, it fits in right to you. Uh, the new nine. Uh, your, I mean, your entire podcast theme fits into my game because I am the king of uh, 49-36. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm, yeah, I'm a great like, match play player partner because I'll have – like today I think I had three triples, just complete disasters, but I'll have three birdies or something like that and play, play good. I have trouble uh, – you know, I think I've been in the 70s maybe 10 times this year, but I've probably been in the 90s 10 times, so that's me. Speaking of match play, um, I saw that you played a match with uh, O-Dog, Jeff O'Neill. Oh, God, that was a – speaking of which, that's a personification of what I am as a golfer. That <laughs> You guys were playing Kyle Dubas and Jerry D. How did that happen? Uh, so uh, it happened because of a friend of mine, Jeff Dykeman, who is uh, kind of my agent – not my agent per se. I don't have an agent for you know contracts and stuff. I'm not some big shot. Uh, but uh, Jeff uh, helps me in other things, you know uh, – whatever endorsements or things like that. And he's basically my golf buddy. Uh, but Jeff also represents Jerry D and okay. he's good friends with Kyle Dubas and uh, best friends, I think from their, when they were younger. So uh, I guess him and Kyle one day sort of came up with the idea of this chair, raising some money for COVID and for charity. And uh, he contacted me and we, uh, and Jerry and that's how it happened. So it was, you know, it was really, it was really fun. Uh, we lost, but uh I will tell you this, and I've said this to a lot of people. I could talk on television in front of 10 million people and not get nervous because uh, it's my job. But that situation, they closed down the course. There was four cameras, you know, about 30 people just walking with us. Uh, that was, I, I do admit the pressure did get to me because I played really well for the first maybe 10 holes. We played our own ball for the first six holes, and I think I was one under. 
And then we played alternate shot and things were going well. And then I hit a, I hit one sideways on like 11, uh, hit a hybrid just completely off the toe into the woods. And we ended up tripling and, and then I kind of fell apart. In the last six holes, I was just horrendous. And that's where I felt it. Like when you lose your swing, you know, in a situation like that, and there you can't, you know, you're not picking up or whatever. It, it just is a helpless feeling. I actually reminded me when Tom Brady, that match with Phil and, uh, and Peyton yep. Manning and Tiger. Yep. And I could like Tom Brady, you can tell he's a decent golfer, right? He's not a six or whatever he says he is, but he's a decent golfer. But you can tell he was lost, right? Oh, yeah. Just, just off by like a little bit on something. And he had nowhere to help him. And that, that was kind of the way it was for me on those last six holes. You know, you need somebody to come up and say, hey, you're, uh, your tempo is off or you're, you're doing something. You're, but you have nobody there to help you. And I was just, I kind of fell apart. When I had Natasha on, she thought that uh, Jeff O'Neill might be the best golfer at TSN. Is that true? Yeah, I'd say uh, I don't want to give him that credit because he kind of choked <laughs> down, the, down the stretch for me too. But when he's on, like the day before, the, the sad thing, neither one of us played great that day against Dubas. But the day before, we went and played a practice round and uh, he shot 70, I shot 76, and he was five under through seven. Like he had, a, I thought he was going to pop like a 63 up on the board. Yeah. So he's definitely, you know, he's like a four or five. So he's definitely one of the best golfers at TSN. If not, I, I'm not sure there's anybody better. Brian Mudrick's a good golfer. Corey Warren's a good golfer. Um, some of the ladies are great. Uh, but yeah, I think he's probably, he's probably the best as, as far as far as the on-air people go. So did he leave you hanging when you weren't, when you kind of lost your swing there on 11, he couldn't tell you what you're doing? No, not really. Uh, Jeff's really quiet when he golfs. He doesn't say much. He doesn't want to be bothered. He doesn't want me to bother him. That's hard to believe. We, and we, like I said, we both kind of choked. The, the defining moment of the match was on 17, and the match was even. And we were in the fairway like 70 yards out, and we were playing scramble the last six holes. So we both had like a 70-yard chip, and I think Jerry D had hit it into like four feet, so they were going to make birdie. And Jeff went first and sculled his over the green, like 50 yards. And that left it to me. And uh, <laughs> one more quick story, because this is, just shows you how the brain can panic. And we've all experienced this on the golf course. Yeah. I have a shot I hit from 70 yards, right? I usually will hit, sometimes I'll hit my 60. Sometimes I'll hit a 56, like just halfway to like mm -hmm. nine o'clock. And that's all I do. And I'm pretty good with it. The night before, my son had shown me some video he found on Instagram of Mickelson, you know, talking about putting the ball at the back of your stance, closing the face. And I literally had not even tried it on the <laughs> rain. And in that moment of panic, as I stood over the ball, I'm like, I'm going to try that Mickelson thing that my son told me. Yeah. And I hit it about 15 yards. I just dug in, oh. dug the leading edge into the ground. I'm like, how stupid was that? But I just kind of panicked, right? Yeah. And uh, it just shows you how your mind falls apart sometimes in golf. Golf is such a stupid game. Oh, it's unbelievable. Just ludicrous. The next question I have for you is what's the best day on the golf course? But I'm going to assume it's Augusta. So uh, besides from Augusta, what's the second best day you ever had on the golf course? Uh, one of my favorite place in the world. And if someone asked me if you had a choice to go play around again, you know, I guess I'd probably take Augusta, but it would be narrow over uh, Cabot Cliffs and Cabot Links out in Cape Breton is my favorite place to go. I'd been there four summers in a row, got kiboshed, of course, this summer because of COVID. Yeah. But 
I look forward to those three days that we go out as much as anything in the year. And uh, I mean, I could pick from a variety of rounds only because it's fresh in my mind because uh, Sean McKenzie and I were having a match today and he won the first four holes. And, uh, and I came back and I lost on 18 to him. But there was a round, I think our last round last year at Cabot Cliffs, which is just this gorgeous course. Uh, I, lo- I lost the first four holes and I was eight over after four, which going back to the streakiness, okay? Yeah. So like Sean was one under and I was eight over after four. I lost a ho- ball in a bush. I took a triple. I took a quad or something. It was just awful. And uh, the next 14, no, next 12 holes I played in two under. And uh, I just couldn't. It was one of those days where the sun was going down and it was a beautiful day. And I couldn't miss for 12 holes. And I was saying to myself as I was walking up like 17, like this is the best I've ever played golf. And to be able to do that on a, you know, maybe your favorite place in the world. Now, I hit a ball in the ocean on 17, which cost me breaking 80. But uh, <laughs> I, was still, I think I shot 80 on the nose after I was eight over after eight. So I was really proud of that. And uh, But any day at Cabot Cliffs or Cabot Links is, uh, is, is right up there for me. The one other part of that answer, and I didn't know it at the time, but my dad passed away two years ago. And I only ever played one round of golf with my dad. My dad was not a golfer. But when I was about uh, 16, uh, he took me out in Tweed and we played together. And he was terrible. And I was probably terrible too back then. But the fact that he took me out, he didn't like golf. Uh, only in retrospect over the last few years have I come to appreciate that 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 day a lot more. Right. Well, I'm sorry for your loss, but it's good to hear you got to get out with him at least once. Yeah. No, thank you very much. It's uh, good memories. He had a great life. So. Oh, good. Um, what's the worst day of golf you ever had? Oh, man. There's not many bad ones. Uh, uh, losing that match this summer was pretty bad and having to relive it on television because there was four cameras there. That wasn't very good. Uh, man, I can't think of too many. And I, I think that's one thing that I have uh, somewhat perspective on is that I don't get, you know, I get frustrated like anybody else, but I don't really get super angry because I do realize how lucky we all are to play and that any day on a golf course is better than anything else. So I can't think of too many miserable days I've had on a golf course. I think that once in my twenties, I was like super hungover and like threw up three times. (laughs) And it was like my one round a year playing with a couple of buddies who came into town or something, or I came into town to see them. It was outside Ottawa. I can't remember the golf course. Yeah. And so that was pretty miserable. (laughs) <laughs> but, That's funny. but besides that there's not too many bad days well you told me already you're the king of new nines mr uh, 3545 um have you had any i have the all-time record by the way this is like i this should be the you're not even going to believe this but i i don't make up stories this is true uh wooden sticks probably 20 years ago playing with dave amber and a couple of his buddies and we played some weird game where you, i mean you had to count everything there was no maxes or anything like that right and I play, I think we played the back nine first and I shot 60. Now that sounds awful and it is, but I think I had like a 14. So we were playing from the backs and I think it was windy and on 17, I put like seven balls in the water or something. Okay. So I think I had like a 14 and a 12 or something and shot and shot 60 yeah. and shot 36 on the back. Come so on. 30, that's 24 <laughs> strokes difference in nine holes. Nobody will touch that. Yeah. 
That's a new nine record, right? That is a new nine record so far. 36, somewhere buried deep in my room. I still have the, uh, the scorecard. Well, if you find it, take a picture of it and I'm putting that up. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you ever had a new nine in life? Have you ever had a shitty uh, relationship or job experience or just something's not going your way and you're able to turn it around and uh, turn it into a positive? Wow. I mean, I think I've had plenty of those. I think, I think we all, we all have had tons of those. Well, the example I gave you earlier on the show when we lost the NHL rights, and that was one of the worst days of my career. And, you know, out of that, I get to cover the masters and the Super Bowl and all those other things. So um, there, there's one for, there's one for you personally. um, You know, I've had a couple of people really close to me who've gotten really sick and uh, were not given much chance and uh, are still with me today. So those things I think are the ultimate new nines, right? Absolutely. That you could possibly have. But I think like anybody else, I've had bad times and good times and uh, bad breaks and good breaks. And I have fortunately the good breaks have outnumbered the bad. But uh, I, I actually love that name for your podcast and that philosophy because it, it's so true. It's actually one of the things I lament in golf, though. Today is a perfect example. You Sometimes you start to think about the new nines too early, Yeah. right? Yep. But today I... I was, I think I was four over after five. And so I was by like the sixth hole, you're already thinking about starting again and you kind of blow off seven, eight, nine, which is a big mistake. Yeah. So, so new nine is a great philosophy, but get through the other nine first. Exactly. Um, James, I'm glad that you can resonate with the brand. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I know a lot of our uh, listeners are going to be so excited to listen to this. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, when is your book coming out? What else could I plug for you? Uh, the book is out October 10th. I really appreciate that, buddy. Uh, the podcast will be out around then. So look for that. And uh, you can, the Rubber Boots podcast, which you did mention, which uh, people haven't listened, is a really dumb podcast. It's just four guys talking about life. We talk about sports. We talk about what's going on in our relationships and stuff. But it's a lot of fun um, with three of my guys at work. And just uh, keep watching TSN. And I've heard the story of why it's called the rubber boots podcast. I'm not going to get into it, but you need to, if you haven't heard the rubber boots podcast, you got to figure out why it's called the rubber boots. So I'll leave the list. You have to watch these. Let's just listen to season one, episode one of you know, it was a horrible name for a podcast. It probably cost us thousands of listeners, but I don't care. (laughs) It was a hilarious story. Um, James, thanks so much for coming on formerly Darren Drager, uh, 10 years ago, (laughs) but, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it and, uh, enjoy the rest of the golf season. I've long since forgiven you, Bill. (laughs) <laughs> that's my dad's name uh, uh brandon my pleasure bud uh, i'll talk golf anytime and uh best of luck with the broadcasting career and with the podcast okay right on thanks james have a good one okay bud cheers all right guys that wraps us up um what a weight off of my shoulders it was to finally apologize to james um he couldn't have been a nicer guy and i'm so jealous of all of the stories from uh, augusta and then working on tsn sports center all the connections that he has especially in writing his new book to just call up Sidney crosby that is just so cool and so surreal that uh, i hope you guys all check out his book coming out um that wraps us up for today so i hope you guys do your best to enjoy the golf community even though it is coming to an end make sure you're spending some money in the pro shops you're buying some new equipment there's obviously lots of deals out do what you can to support the golf community i hope you hit it long and straight have lots of birdies forget about the bogeys and uh, we'll check in with you next time so thanks again for tuning in we'll talk to you then